This is Africa Digest. Good evening and welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa, the African Perspective, broadcasting from Johannesburg on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. I'm Amanda Machaga, driving the show with Onel Nzinzi and Musubudi Makura. Top stories on Africa Digest. Former Zimbabwe President Robert Mugabe will miss the ruling ZANU-PF Party's Congress for the first time since its founding in 1963. And a report by Human Rights says that Kenyan security forces raped, beat, and assaulted civilians during violence in recent elections. But this has Onel with your news. Thank you, Amanda. A group of 11 militiamen in the Democratic Republic of Congo have been jailed for life or raping about 40 children, including one baby. The girls they raped between 2013 and 2016 were aged between 8 months and 12 years old. The men's alleged leader was a local MP, Frederick Bamomik Patumike. He is one of those jailed. Local campaigners held a verdict against the man as a sign that impunity for sexual violence was ending. Many of the assaults happened at night. The men were alleged to believe that the blood of virgins would grant them supernatural protection. New President Emerson Nangagwa on Thursday called for the removal of Western sanctions on members of Zimbabwe's ruling elite. The United States maintains a travel and economic embargo on several ZANU-PF party officials, top military figures and some government-owned firms. It imposed it during former President Robert Mugabe's rule over what it called violation of human rights and democracy. The EU lifted most of its sanctions in 2014 but kept them on Mugabe and his wife Grace. Nangagwa will be con- confirmed as party leader and its candidate for the presidential elections at a special one-day Congress on Friday with Mugabe absent. Nangagwa says the country calls for unconditional lifting of the political and economic sanctions which have crippled the national development of the country. Kenyan security forces raped, bit, and assaulted civilians during violence in recent elections. The report released by Human Rights Watch in Nairobi on Thursday indicates that there is widespread sexual violence among women and children, as well as sexual attacks on men. The rights group has called for a public inquiry into the violence with the aim of bringing to justice those responsible for the attacks. Human Rights Watch spokesperson Agnes Odiambo. The perpetrators, according to the people we interviewed, half of the rapes that we documented were perpetrated by police or men in uniform. And the types of sexual violence that we documented included rape, gun rape, this is rape that involves two men or more. Um, And uh, we also had a case of mass rape where a group of women were raped by a group of men. Um, About half of the rapes that we, from the witnesses we spoke to, were gang raped. So most women were raped by more than two uh, people. 
Russian President Vladimir Putin has defended his record during his second term in office, which began in 2012. In his end-of-year press briefing, he's noted that real wages have increased and life expectancy has risen since he came to office. Putin's also highlighted changes in Texas. Our taxes have decreased threefold, whereas the country's reserves have increased by 30 times. And this has to mean something. When we're talking about the opposition, this has to be not just about some noisy politicians who talk about an anti-democratic regime. Lastly, United Nations agencies in the Democratic Republic of Congo have expressed concern about the humanitarian situation of children in the country. More than 400,000 children are suffering from malnutrition in the DRC due to internal displacement of millions of people. The situation has recently also hit the eastern province and the Kasai region. Maikou Kinkela is one of the country's high council members. For a country that has the potential to feed its people, to have so many people, and especially children, be affected is a major concern. The most concerned provinces are the provinces where you have a lot of people displaced. We've been able to establish a direct link between population movement in terms of internal displacement and food and agriculture and malnutrition. Lately, the Kasai provinces have also been greatly affected because when people move, they are no longer able to farm their fields. That's the direct link. So anytime you have insecurity and population movement, we see that here in DRC, it has an impact on food output and on malnutrition. Channel African News, I'm Thank you, Nelly. Kenyan security forces raped, beat and assaulted civilians during violence in recent elections. This according to a report published by the international lobby group Human Rights Watch. The report released in Nairobi today indicates that there was widespread sexual violence among women and girls as well as sexual attacks on men. The rights group has called for a public inquiry into the violence with the aim of bringing to justice those responsible for the attacks. In this report by our reporter Sarah Kimani in Nairobi, the name of the victim featured has been changed to protect her identity. Agnes Kaleche now walks with a limp following events of August 9th, hours after she cast her ballot. She remembers taking shelter in her one-roomed house with her family after clashes broke out between the police and civilians in Madare, an informal settlement in Nairobi. Little did she know that her home would end up being the scene of her horrific rape. The uniformed men kicked the door open, threw my husband and kids out. Then one started strangling me. The other one hit my knees and legs with a club. One stood watch at the door. The other one raped me. Kaleche, who was four months pregnant, woke up several hours after her attackers had left and went to hospital, but she lost the baby. A day later, her husband walked out on her, leaving an alien Kaleche to fend for herself and her two children. The doctors said I had a miscarriage because of the rape. I think my husband left me because of the stigma. It's impossible to work because of the pain in my lower abdomen. 
All I want is justice. Human Rights Watch spoke to 68 women and girls, as well as three men in Nairobi and Western Kenya, in areas that were hotspots for the violence after August 8th elections. The report says half of the rapes were gang rapes and were accompanied by torture and violence against children and spouses. Agnes Othiambo is a researcher for Human Rights Watch. The perpetrators, according to the people we interviewed, half of the rapes that we documented were perpetrated by police or men in uniform. Like Kaleche, most of those who were raped have not sought post-rape care or medical support due to stigma and fear of intimidation by the police. Police have not responded to the report, but Human Rights Watch says in a meeting with high-ranking security officials, police promised to investigate the allegations. Now, this report we are launching today is very concerning because it documents patterns of sexual violence and government failure that are similar to what Human Rights Watch documented around the 2007-2008 political violence, where the government failed to protect or to prevent sexual violence. It failed to help survivors to get medical treatment and counseling support, or to even genuinely investigate and prosecute. Kenyan security officials have come under scrutiny over how they conducted themselves during the just-concluded polls. Civil society organizations have reported at least 58 people were killed in violent clashes between the police and civilians since August the 8th elections. Sarah Kimani in Nairobi, Kenya. Former Zimbabwe President Robert Mugabe will miss the ruling ZANU-PF Party's Congress for the first time since its founding in 1963. The party will hold its extraordinary Congress this weekend to rubber stamp decisions of a Central Committee meeting at which Mugabe was deposed as leader of the party and the country, albeit with the help of the military. In a landmark moment, new party leader Emerson Mnangakwa will preside over the party's Congress. More from Channel Africa's reporter Simon Muchema in Harare. Um, Nangagwa is a cunning man. He is not that person who talks too much like what we used to hear Robert Mugabe doing it in the previous days. Uh, we expect Nangagwa to go by the constitution of ZANU-PF. Uh, there is one center of power according to what ZANU-PF still believes in. That's what Mugabe has and that's what Nangagwa has actually adopted. So what we expect is Nangagwa to name uh, the two vice presidents by the end of the Congress, that is Saturday, uh, but this comes after recommendations by the Central Committee. By the way, the Central Committee is taking place right now, as I'm speaking to you, and uh, the political uh, was held yesterday. So these two organs of uh, the decision-making in ZANU-PF, they make recommendations. Then they recommend to the party for certain names or individuals to have to be appointed as vice president or even leaders of the Women's League and Youth, uh, youth League. What we heard Mnangagwa saying today was specific. It was just about the Women's League and the Youth League leadership. He was silent on the executive, of which we we, we believe that Mnangagwa um, got the prerogative to appoint his two vice presidents coming from the recommendations from the Central Committee. So we expect uh, some sweeping changes 
in Zanupier by the end of the Congress because uh, Munangaba still has those powers if we are to go by the current constitution, which is the constitution that Robert Mugabe was using by the time he was president of Zanupier in the, in the country. Now, we understand that there are five names being bandied about as the possible candidates to fill the two slots as Munangagwa's deputies. Who are those candidates, Simon? At the moment, we know of two. The other three are female. I understand there is um, Opam Chinguri coming from Manikale, but uh, she is one of those people uh, who witnessed the death of two heroes, uh, Hebe Chitepo and Josiah Tongogara, and she is very key in the leadership of ZANU-PF uh, for coming from the Women's League, but uh, she might also miss out on the vice presidency and go to lead the Women's League, which is a very, very crucial uh, position in ZANU-PF. So we also have um, uh, Constantino Chiwenga, the Army Commander General. Uh, he might be thrown, uh, his name has also been thrown, and we understand that uh, he might be appointed because the prerogative still lies in the hands of the president. We also have Chinga Dube, he is a veteran uh, liberation war fighter. And we understand that it's coming from the Zanu side. And uh, you understand that in ZANU-PF, when they are appointing vice presidents, that's the reason why they have two slots as vice presidents. They have got to make sure that they abide by uh, what we call uh, the Unity Accord of 1997. Uh, sorry, 1987. So they've got to make sure there's one from ZAPU and one from ZANU. Then to then they make two vice presidents. So as we as it stands right now, there are uh, three. But there are other two names that we are not so sure uh, of who is who. Uh, who might be uh, nominated, but we don't know. But these three are the ones who are leading. Uh, Obam Chinguri, uh, she's coming from the Women's, Women's League, then uh, there's Chinga Dube, then there's the Army Commander General. Now, the country is emerging from what was considered to be a coup, and it remains to be seen whether the new government uh, will be able to hold a free and fair election next year. What are you hearing on the ground, Simon, in terms of this Congress? Is it as highly uh, anticipated as uh, the ANC's conference happening also this weekend? here in South Africa? Uh, we heard from the horse's mouth. Um, Nangagwa actually pledged to the Zimbabweans because this was a ZANU-PF uh, Congress, extraordinary Congress, where he made this statement, but he pledged that uh, he is going to make sure that he is going to use the powers that he has got uh, so that the country holds free and fair and credible elections. And he actually denounced violence and he actually denounced corruption in the entire country. So we might see elections being held in a, in a new dispensation because we actually criticized those who were making it very difficult for people to register for uh, voting next year. Now just finally, Simon, uh, we understand that um, Mugabe is going to miss uh, this conference for the first time. How has uh, this news been uh, received within uh, the, the party ranks? Uh, within the party ranks, you find that uh, several people, it's a, it's a mixed feeling. We have got some who still wish he was there sure. because of his leadership style in the party because uh, Mugabe had uh, this um, charm 
when he was speaking, uh, he was on the podium, and whenever there was a meeting and Mugabe was leading that meeting, there was this uniqueness that Mugabe had whenever he was uh, chairing those meetings, which is unlike Emerson Mnangagwa. Emerson Mnangagwa is someone who is um, a sort of fame. He's someone who, who wants results there and there. He is, he is not a joking type of person. There's Channel Africa reporter Simon Muchemo on the line from Harare in Zimbabwe talking to Kumbero Munzarere. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective... Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. It's 17 minutes after 5 p.m. Central African time. You're listening to Africa Digest right here on Channel Africa, where we're bringing you news from an African perspective. Uh, just a note, uh, listener, that uh, to, due to the industrial action underway, we will have no economics news today. After Zimbabwe made headlines uh, for the past a few weeks because of regime change, it has embarked on a new course of rebuilding itself to its former glory. The newly appointed president, Emerson Nangakwa, has appointed his cabinet and their primary goal is to bring about a new Zimbabwe. Now here's a look at Zimbabwe's country profile compiled by Jolani Tulo. The current president of Zimbabwe is Emerson Mnangagwa and the capital of the country is Harare. The monetary unit used is the Zimbabwean dollar with a population of over 13 million people. The major languages spoken are English, Shona and Ndembele. The remains of early humans dating back 500,000 years have been discovered in present-day Zimbabwe. The land's earliest settlers, the Khoisan, date back to 200 BC after a period of Bantu domination. The Shona people ruled, followed by the Nguni and Zulu peoples. By the mid-19th century, the descendants of the Nguni and Zulu, the Ndebele, had established a powerful warrior kingdom. The first British explorers, colonialists and missionaries arrived in the 1850s and the massive influx of foreigners led to the establishment of the territory Rhodesia named after Cecil Rhodes of the British South Africa Company. In 1923, European settlers voted to become the self-governing British colony of Southern Rhodesia after a brief federation with Northern Rhodesia, now Zambia, and Nyasaland, now Malawi. In the post-World War II period, Southern Rhodesia, also known as Rhodesia, chose to remain a colony when its two partners voted for independence in 1963. The white minority finally consented to hold multi-racial elections in 1980 and Robert Mugabe won a landslide victory. The country achieved independence on April 17, 1980 under the name Zimbabwe. 
Mugabe eventually established a one-party socialist state, but by 1990 he had instituted multi-party elections and in 1991 deleted all references to Marxism and Leninism and scientific socialism from the constitution. Parliamentary elections in April 1995 gave Mugabe's party a stunning victory with 63 of the 65 contested seats and in 1996 Mugabe won another six-year term as president. In the year 2000, veterans of Zimbabwe's war for independence in the 1970s began squatting on land owned by white farmers in an effort to reclaim land taken under British colonialization. One third of Zimbabwe's arable land was owned by 4,000 whites. In August 2002, Mugabe ordered all white commercial farmers to leave their land without compensation. Mugabe's support for the squatters and his repressive rule has led to foreign sanctions against Zimbabwe. Once heralded as a champion of the anti-colonial movement, Mugabe is now viewed by much of the international community as an authoritarian ruler responsible for human rights abuses and for running the economy of his country into the ground. In March 2002, Zimbabwe was suspended from the Commonwealth of Nations. That month, Mugabe was re-elected president for another six years in a blatantly rigged election whose results were enforced by the president's militia. In 2003, inflation hit 300 the country faced severe food shortages and the farming system had been destroyed. In 2004, the IMF estimated that the country had grown one-third poorer in the last five years. Zimbabweans clearly fed up with the economic collapse and the lack of available necessities in Zimbabwe expressed their anger at the polls in March 2008's presidential and parliamentary elections. The opposition movement for democratic change won a majority of the seats in parliament, a remarkable defeat for Mugabe's party, the ZANU-PF. Four days after the vote, Morgan Changarai, the leader of the movement for democratic change, declared himself the winner by a slim margin. Mugabe refused to concede until the vote count was complete. More than a month after the election, however, the vote was not yet complete. Zimbabwe's High Court dismissed the opposition's request for the release of election results. President Mugabe and Changarai agreed to a power-sharing deal in September that called on the leaders to share executive authority. Under the deal, Changarai will serve as Prime Minister and the opposition will control 16 ministries. Talks dragged on for the remainder of 2008, but the two sides failed to reach consensus. In September 2015, former Vice President Joyce Majuru released a political manifesto to position herself as a rival to President Mugabe in the 2018 elections. Part of her manifesto asked for a review of the legislation that has blocked foreign investment for the last 10 years. A former protégé of Mugabe, Mujuru planned to launch her own party, People First, to take on his ZANU-PF. On December 10, 2014, Mugabe appointed Emerson Mnangagwa as Vice President of Zimbabwe, appearing to confirm his position as the presumed successor to Mugabe. But in an unprecedented move, President Robert Mugabe in early 2017 fired Mnangagwa with speculation he was about to appoint his wife Grace Mugabe to be Vice President and later to succeed him as Head of State. In 2017, in what looked like a coup, the Zimbabwean military surrounded the President's official residence and also took over the state broadcaster. The Army General used the TV platform to inform the nation that President Robert Mugabe was under house arrest. Following the house arrest, and President Robert Mugabe resigned and was succeeded by his ousted Vice President, Emerson Mnangagwa.
The UN agencies in the Democratic Republic of Congo have expressed concerns about the humanitarian situation of children in that country. More than 400,000 children are suffering from malnutrition due to internal displacement of millions of people. The situation is particularly bad in the eastern provinces and the Kasai region. Chanuel Pamweze reports from Kinshasa. This question of malnutrition has become a major issue here in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Although this country has a huge space of arable land and has all the potential to feed its people. That's indeed what the United Nations agencies working here are regretting. But what's true is that there is a link between internal displacement and malnutrition. Since displaced, the farmers are no more able to produce and feed families. The situation hits the eastern province and the Kasai region. The coordinator of the UN system communication, Yvonne Edumu, has described the issue as a very concerning one. It's a situation that is very concerning and it's something that we've been talking about over the past few years malnutrition has become a major crisis a major issue in DRC for a country that has the potential to feed its people to have so many people and especially children be affected is a major concern the most concerned provinces are the provinces where you have a lot of people displaced. We've been able to establish a direct link between population movement in terms of internal displacement and food and agriculture and malnutrition. The provinces, of course, that are eastern provinces, lately the Kasai provinces have also been greatly affected because when people move, they are no longer able to farm their fields. That's the direct link. So anytime you have insecurity and population movement, we see that here in DRC, it has an impact on food output and on malnutrition. The Democratic Republic of Congo's authorities need to bring back a climate of peace and stability in those areas that are hit by malnutrition since that's the only solution to stop people's internal displacement. What the UN agencies believe is that people can go back home and resume farming activities only if there is sustainable peace and stability. Meanwhile, the UN specialized agencies are doing what they can as the coordinator of the UN system communication told Channel Africa. Yvonne Edumo. I think the work has been done and is being done over the past few years with the UN agencies that are present in the DRC who are specialized in food and malnutrition with all the national and international NGOs who are also specialized in malnutrition. I think today, as we just mentioned, the key thing is being able to bring back peace in all these provinces, being able to stabilize these provinces. People who are displaced, most of them are young men who are able to work the land so that these people can go back to their homes and go back to their fields that they left because they had to flee. So the capacity, the drafting, the creation of projects and programs that can be done by the agencies, but something that goes above and beyond their capacity is that how do we bring back peace, stability and security so that families can go back to their fields. Meanwhile, the Congolese High Council of Media and Communication has called on media professionals to get involved in children's situation and continue covering the issue. Magi Kinkela is one of this country's High Council members. 
Media should have a space for children's situation in each publication and produce educative programs to sensitize on sickness children are victim of and other related key issues. The worst facing children in this country is due to repeated conflicts and ongoing insecurity in the eastern provinces, but this is too serious in Kasai due to recent violence and insecurity caused by traditional leader Kamwina Sapu. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. The ANC's 54th National Conference is here. The branches have spoken. From the seven candidates, two are leading. Who will emerge victorious? SABC News will bring you the National Conference coverage live from Nazareth Daily on TV, radio and digital platforms from 16 December. Placing you where the news is happening in all official languages. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu hivi sasa najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre du soleil. Kia makande embalelwa kina Miriam. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz de renascença africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Zochitika, mu África! Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Time now for our news headlines with Anne Lenzenzi. A group of 11 militiamen in the Democratic Republic of Congo are jailed for life or raping about 40 children. New President Emerson Nangagwa calls for the removal of Western sanctions on members of Zimbabwe's ruling elite and Russian President Vladimir Putin defends his record during his second term in office. Channel Africa News, I'm Onilinsinzi. The ANC's 54th National Conference is here. The branches have spoken. From the seven candidates, two are leading. Who will emerge victorious? SABC News will bring you the National Conference coverage live from Nazareth Daily on TV, radio and digital platforms from 16 December. Placing you where the news is happening in all official languages. 
In South Africa, there are growing fears that entrenched factions and slate politics have the potential to destroy the ruling African National Congress. Currently, seven presidential candidates are vying for the party's top post, with two slates belonging to presidential hopefuls. Cyril Ramaphosa and Dr. Nkosazana Lamini Zuma already circulated to the branches. At this, and this has elicited fears that factionalism will be deeply entrenched, leading to the conference. Ntaba Mukobo has more. As I've just said, the number of votes received by comrade Thabo Mbeki, 1,505. Thank you. Can I move on, please? The number of votes received by comrade Jacob Zuma, 2,329. The IEC official reading out the outcomes of the bruising ANC leadership contest in Pulukwani 10 years ago. With it came the promise of a stronger ANC able to better guide government and a united tripartite alliance. But the 2007 ANC elective conference also introduced the phenomenon of slate politics in the ANC body politic. The winner-takes-all approach was applied, with President Jacob Zuma slate occupying all top six official positions, while the losing team was overlooked. This precipitated the formation of the Congress of the People. Fast forward 2017, the culture of slate politics is in full force. With another elective conference just a month away, factions are entrenched, with the ANC Youth League being the first to nail its colors to the mast. Secretary General Njabulon Zuza announcing their preferred team. The ANC Youth League has therefore debated on this leadership question and believes that comrades who must lead the organization are as follows. Comrade Gosaza Netlamini Zuma is the president of the ANC. Comrade David Mabuza is the Deputy President of the ANC. Comrade S. Mahashule is the Secretary General of the ANC. Comrade Natim Teto is the National Chair of the ANC. DSG for Monitoring and Evaluation, Comrade Jesse Duarte. DSG for Organizing and Campaigns, Comrade Figile Mbalula. And the Treasurer General, Comrade Maite Nguane Mashabane. And the other side is also not relenting with Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa having his own team in mind. Are supporting Comrade Senzo Mkunu for the Secretary General of the African National Congress. Are supporting Comrade Naledi Pando, the Deputy President of the African National Congress. Are supporting Comrade Gwede Mandashe, the National Chairperson. Slates have since 2007 been identified as one of the negative tendencies fracturing the organization. Amongst others, the practice is seen as taking away the democratic right of the branches to choose who to lead them in what positions. For his part, President Jacob Zuma has been calling for a woman president and even openly campaigning for Dr. Nkosasa Natlamini Zuma. He, however, has spoken against the zero-sum winner-takes-all approach. If we look at our history, very strong feeling about my candidate, etc. So strong that the above the strong feeling towards the ANC can't be right. The experience of Pulugwan saw a very good crop of leadership moving out and forming an organization. Let us not get rid of the one who did not win. Let us make the one who became number two or who did not win 
to be a deputy of the one who is leading. This will have the effect that both factions will come together and work together on the two leaders that they wanted to lead the organization. Any sentiments are echoed by Gauteng ANC Provincial Chairperson Paul Mashatile, who says they are open to negotiate any position in the top six except for the one of president. Consensus means we can agree on particular positions. And in a consensus, uh, sometimes you must be prepared as a comrade to give in. Say, you know, I was nominated for this position, but it may be better to shift for this comrade. So by no means are the nominations currently cast in stone. There is room for discussion, but you have also to respect the views of the branches as you do those engagements because you don't want branches to get to conference and say, ah, but now everything we wanted has been thrown away. For the first time in its 105-year history, the ANC is facing an unprecedented number of candidates. At least seven candidates are vying for the party's top job with Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa and former AU Commission Chair Dr. Nkosasana Tlaminezuma appearing as the early front runners. Other contenders include Dr. Zwilim Kize, Lindy Wesisulu, Jeff Hadebe, Matthews Posa and Baleka Mbete. Political analyst Professor Stephen Friedman says the contestation must be better managed to avoid a further split. Unless the factions are persuaded to get together and make some sort of compromise. Because if you don't do that, they're going to get to the conference and people are just simply going to challenge the other side's delegates, maybe even go to court, and you won't have a conference. So they may only be able to solve the problem this time by agreeing to split the positions. So one faction gets half and the other faction gets half. For now, nominations are well underway. And it's a race against time to see who branches will pick as the next ANC president and probably the country's commander-in-chief come 2019. I am Tebumokobe in Johannesburg. Attention to our listeners. From the 30th of October 2017, the first hour of Africa Digest will not be broadcast on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. The 1700-hours show will only be found on shortwave and online on www.channelafrica.co.za. Please note that this only applies to the 1700-hours Central African Time show. The 1900-hour Central African Time program will be back on all the platforms. Channel Africa giving you an African perspective. Burundi is a small nation in East Central Africa's Great Lakes region, bordering Lake Tanganyika. It occupies the high plateau divided by several deep valleys with a population of about 10.11 million people. The country shares borders with the Democratic Republic of Congo, Rwanda and Tanzania. Tabisolehugu looks at Burundi's history, rich agriculture and its natural resources. Burundi is a landlocked country, in the heart of Africa, a little south of the equator on the eastern shore of Lake Tanganyika. It is bordered by Rwanda to the north, by the Democratic Republic of Congo to the west, and by Tanzania to the south and east. The interior is a broken plateau sloping east to Tanzania in the valley of the river Malagarasi. The southern tributary of the Nile rises in the south of the country. 
The landscape is characterized by hills and valleys covered with eucalyptus trees, banana groves, cultivated fields and pasture. East, the fertile area gives way to savanna grassland, tea and coffee are now grown on mountainsides. The current president of Burundi is His Excellency, Pienggurunziza. The capital of this country is Bujumbura. With an estimated population of about 10 million, Burundi has over six different languages spoken, with Kirundu being the official language. The monetary unit used in this country is the Burundi franc. The original Burundians were the Twa Pygmies, but they were soon squeezed out by bigger groups. First came the Hutu, mostly farmers of Bantu stock. Later, in the 16th and 17th century, the tall pastoral Tutsi from Ethiopia and Uganda arrived. Relations were cordial, but the Tutsi gradually dominated the Hutus in a feudal system similar to that of medieval Europe. At the end of the 19th century, Burundi and Rwanda were colonized by Germany. But the World War I, the League of the Nations, mandated Rwanda-Urundi to Belgium. Taking advantage of the status quo, the Belgians ruled through the Tutsi chiefs and princes. The frequency of ethnic clashes increased, developing into a low-intensity civil war. A six-nation regional proposal to send troops into Burundi to maintain peace and order was devised in July 1996. Distrustful of the scheme, the Tutsi-dominated army led a coup deposing the Hutu president and installed Majapir Buyoya that month. After several aborted ceasefires, a 2001 peace plan included a power-sharing agreement that has been relatively successful. Buyoya, a Tutsi, governed the new transitional government for the first 18 months. Then in 2003, a Hutu president, Domiti Ndaize, assumed the power. In 2005, a former Hutu rebel leader, Piengurunziza, was elected president by parliament. The peaceful transfer of power to a democratically elected leader seemed to indicate that Burundi's 12-year civil war was truly at an end. Peace talks between the government and Burundi's only remaining rebel group continued in 2000s. President Tepien Gurunziza's announcement that he would stand in a June 2015 vote plunged Burundi into its worst political crisis since its ethnically-fueled civil war ended a decade ago. With the ex-president of Burundi, Domitian Ndaize, saying Gurunziza should step down. Citing the peace agreement reached at Arusha with the new constitution, the president should run for another term. The Burundi Constitutional Court endorsed the decision by the president to run for a third term. Following the decision by the Constitutional Court, the media houses reported that the judges have fled the country, amongst them the court's vice president, Judge Silvere Nimpe Garite, who fled to Rwanda. Despite the tough economic climate, Burundi's economic policy aims to provide the country with the necessary infrastructure and promote rapid, sustained growth in line with the strategic framework for the growth and poverty reduction adopted in February 2012. Burundi 
has a great deal to offer tourists, including mountainous landscapes, natural parks, wildlife and access to one of Africa's largest lakes. The country's turbulent tourism industry, however, remains undeveloped and only contributes marginally to the country's gross domestic product. Visitor numbers have only increased marginally since the peace agreement was set up in 2001 and many still consider the country too dangerous. In comparison, its neighbor Rwanda, a country with a similar sad history of ethnic violence, Burundi is still lingering on the starting blocks when it comes to attracting tourists. to the industrial action underway we don't have economics or bulletins but instead we have Musibudu um, Makura standing by for our sports news Thank you, Amanda. Good evening, sports fans. And starting off with football news, South Africa have secured their place in the 2017 Kosafa Under-20 Championships final after beating Egypt 1-0 in the semi-final this afternoon. Lovuyo Mkachana netted the third goal of the tournament to ensure Amajida maintain the unbeaten run in Zambia, where they have now, where they will now rather fight for at, uh, for the trophy. It was a tense affair between the two sides who met just three days ago in the group stage fixture, in which Amajita came from behind to win by two goals to one. Tabusanong's boys though proved that it was not a fluke beating the North Africans as they held tight to ensure nowhere past their defence. Coach Tabusanong is a happy man. We played against a very good team. Sure. The Egyptians are a very good team and uh, well done to our boys. Uh, obviously we stuck to our plan. We knew that they will uh, dominate possession. So we're always waiting for the right moments just to play on transitions and uh, uh, well done to our boys and then of course uh, now we just need to go back to the drawing board and uh, look forward to the next match and we'll try to improve on a few things. Meanwhile, the South African Under-17 Women's National Football Team is getting ready to face their Botswana, uh, their Botswana counterparts in the first round second-leg clash against neighbours Botswana in the 2018 FIFA Under-17 Women's World Cup qualifier. Now, the two teams meet on Saturday at the Dobsonville Stadium in Soweto, south of Johannesburg. Bantwana won the first leg um, t- uh, 5-2 in the, um, at the Lobatsi Stadium two weeks ago in Botswana. Here is Bantwana head coach Simpiwe Zuzu. Well, we are happy to be back in camp as a team and because it's first two seasons, the girls are a bit um, not as sharp as we have loved them to be, but they look excited to be back and continue their quest to qualify for the World Cup. And so far, I could say so good because they just have positive minds and that's all I need from them. Then I know we can work from there. The South African Premier Soccer League Disciplinary Committee has released its ruling on the matter involving Orlando Pirates and spectator misbehavior. Now, the league had charged Orlando Pirates with contravening Rule 54 of the NSL Handbook Rules following acts of hooliganism by a section of supporters during the absolute premiership fixture between Mamlodi Sundowns and Orlando Pirates on the 11th of February 2017, where some of the fans invaded the pitch. Now, the uh, PSL Disciplinary Committee found Orlando 
counterparts guilty and the committee will con- um, 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 convene rather next year to impose a sanction on the member club. At the same time, charges against Mamelodi Sundowns relating to the same event will also be held on January 2018. And finally, in swimming news, swimming South, um, rather South African swimmers are getting ready to compete at the KwaZulu-Natal Aquatics Premier Championships taking place at the Kings Park Aquatics Centre in the KwaZulu-Natal province from the 16th up until the 22nd of December. Now, the championships are important as they are doubling up as the official Commonwealth Games trials. About 40, uh, 460 swimmers will compete to secure a place in the final team that will be selected to represent uh, South Africa. Africa at the 2018 Commonwealth Games in the Gold Coast, Australia. Now, Swimming South Africa CEO Sean Adrian says they hope the top swimmers will make the cut for the Commonwealth Games. I mean, we have, uh, uh, you know, of course, I always want to use the term tried and trusted, the likes of Chad Leclerc, uh, who recently just uh, finished the World Cup circuit, uh, doing very well there, winning a host of uh, medals and also the overall male, male champion. And Cameron van der Berg as well, also been doing well in the World Cup, you know. They've been doing well in past Commonwealth Games. And then we have, uh, you know, the likes of Tatiana Schoenmaker, who also silver medalist from the recent university uh, university game. And then, of course, we have some exciting youngsters coming through as well. The likes of Alan Gallagher, Luca Oldshausen, Anim Abrams, the main thing, but to name but a few. And, you know, they're all going to go all out to see if they can make the grade, the qualifications. Those are sports news at the start. Stay tuned to Channel Africa for more news from an African perspective. This is Africa Digest. Recapping our top stories on Africa Digest, former Zimbabwe President Robert Mugabe will miss the ruling ZANU-PF Party's Congress for the first time since its founding in 1963. And a report by Human Rights Watch says that Kenyan security forces raped, beat and assaulted civilians during violence in recent elections. And that wraps up Africa Digest this hour. From myself, Amanda Machaga, producer, Luanda Maumain, technical producer Catherine Maliga and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you for listening. For more comments on the show, send us an email to info at channelafrica.org or send us an SMS to plus 27823325905.